Board Game Famous, the podcast that chronicles the adventures of two brothers and sometimes some friends as they adventure for board game fame. I'm your host, Michael, and I'm joined this fortnight with Jesse. Hey, y'all. He's still here. (laughs) You can't get rid of me that easily. No, no, not at all. Jesse, we've been busy recently. What have we been doing? We really have. We um, recently went to JeffCon, which was the final mace. Um, next year, it will be known as MysticCon. Um, but this last year, that we were honoring Jeff Smith, who passed, and we got a chance to play a whole bunch of board games, RPGs, and have adventures with our friends. Um, so, Michael, let's start with what you've been playing. What have you been playing? Yeah, it is. It is a shame that this was my first mace. I think this was the yeah, pre- do better. It this was the premiere uh con in Charlotte for the longest time. It's been around for several decades now. A couple decades. It's been around for some time, that's for sure. So, it was a 3-day con and unlike our discussions in the past, I'm not going to talk about everything I played. Why not? But this con is a uh because I didn't write down notes for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but this con was over three days. It started on a Friday afternoon and it ended on a Sunday and I went all three days and I was quite busy the entire time that I was there, but in no particular order, the games that I'm going to talk about that I thought were interesting or excited me in some particular way. The first one is Verdant, V-E-R-D-A-N-T. This is a game that I was excited to play because it is by the same people who have done Cascadia and Calico, two games that we've discussed at length here on the podcast. And man, am I jealous that you got to play this before me. It's sitting on my shelf, desperately waiting to be played. We'll play it soon because, spoiler, I liked it. (laughs) Nice, nice. What did you like about it? Or tell us about the game. So... Published by Flat Out Games, it was released this year, 2022. Artist Beth Sobel, uh, we've talked about her several times on this podcast. Beautiful art. Uh, designed by uh, Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, Aaron Mesburn, Kevin Russ, and Sean uh, Stinkowicz. I hope I said your name correctly. <laughs> but this game is about organizing plants in your house to maximize plant happiness. (laughs) You are creating a five by three grid. So five columns, three rows, and you are alternating plant cards and room cards in this grid to maximize plants, happiness and potential within this configuration. For example, certain kinds of plants don't want that much sun, so you want to place them in a room that's well-shaded and away from the sun. Some plants want the sun, so you want to put them in places in the rooms uh, that it's more sunny. And you're building this grid out, and you only have four options to choose from. So you can either choose a plant card or a room card on your turn and place it within your grid. But the thing I think that makes it interesting is uh, you have a row of four rooms and a row of four plants, and between them there are items. And whenever you pick a plant, 
uh, or a room, you get that item. And some sometimes you'll just end up in situations where like, ah, oh, I really want that room, but I also want that item over there and that combination. <laughs> and it's just really, it's really nice. I found it relaxing organizing plants. And there's uh, end of game goals for how you organize plants. For example, in one of ours was if you have the same type of plant in a row, um, that's the only type of plant in that row, uh, you score extra points. Like one of the types is cacti, and I really like cacti. So <laughs> I was able to do something that I'm not able to do in real life, which is make plants happy. I kill most of the plants that I own. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Jesse, we definitely need to play that again. Uh, and I guess I need to play Calico as well, because if if I've enjoyed Cascadia and Vernon, I definitely enjoy Calico. You're long past due for Calico. I am long past due for Calico. I'm playing them in whatever order I want. So the next game that I want to talk about is a game that you had played before and taught us that you described as a better code names. And that game is Mystic Paths. I am so bad at code names. And I'm also bad at Mystic Paths, but I have a lot more fun being bad at Mystic Paths. The thing I like about Mystic Paths over code names is Mystic Paths is f- fully cooperative. Fully cooperative, whereas code names is competitive. And so, like code names, but not completely like code names, you're so you have this grid with these nouns that you randomly distribute at the beginning of the game. Each person has a wizard that starts in a different place. And the point is you're trying to navigate this forest. And so you have a card that tells you you are supposed to go from this noun to this noun to this noun to this noun and this noun. And everybody has a different path. And so you have a certain number of clue cards saying uh, adjectives. So those two on each side and you get to, they're not opposites. Uh, so you can pick which one to give us a clue. So, oh, the first noun I want to go to is here. And so you have a branching path. And so, um, once you guys put out all your clues, then you look at someone else's clues and they have to stay quiet and you're like, all right, so this one wants to go to, uh, like strong and your options are Grand Canyon, George Washington and Gandhi. Well, that's not super specific, but then you look at the next card. It's like, oh, well, I know that you have to go to something strong. I don't think it's Grand Canyon, but it could be Gandhi or George Washington. And you look at the next clue, and it says Wistful or something like that. And you have four rounds. It has, like, a nice, clearly defined time limit on playing it. Five rounds. I have been corrected. Five rounds. You have to move successfully be navigated 10 spaces in five rounds you can only give clues for three space your next three spaces in the first four rounds and in the last round uh you can give uh four clues it was hilarious and fun to watch people give what they thought were obvious clues uh i'm looking at you jesse Look, my clues make sense to me, and y'all's clues never make sense. (laughs) It was also funny watching my girlfriend almost have a conniption whenever we almost ruined it on the last round, on on the last step. (laughs) 
<laughs> we spent five minutes debating on whether she needed to go left or right through the path on this forest. <laughs> and then we picked her just like, thank God. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Only half of us made it through the path. Uh, the other half did not. But it was really good. I definitely enjoyed it more than Codenames. Uh, which is good because my girlfriend, it, this game was part of the play to win at the con and my girlfriend uh, won it. So that means we're going to have plenty more opportunities to play. And this is something lighter that I would definitely enjoy playing with the group. And the last thing I want to talk about is not a board game, but an RPG. Jeff Con is a tabletop convention and there is a lot of space for board games and RPGs, and so my girlfriend and I were able to sign up in advance for one of the RPGs that we have never played. You know, Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition is the most popular. Everyone <laughs> has played it. Everyone knows. And I wanted to try something different. So we signed up for Swashbucklers of the Seven Skies. Uh, Swashbucklers of the Seven Skies, as you can imagine, is a uh, pirate-themed uh, setting. It uses the PDQ system. I'm not sure what that means specifically. Uh, <laughs> when you go to these cons, you don't learn the entire RPG system, but basically it is a 2D6 system where you roll two D6s, unlike in 5e where you're rolling a, a D20 to determine whether things succeed or fail. This is your rolling 2D6s. And you have stats, and instead of having health, you take damage to your stats. So instead of having like a plus four modifier to one of your skills, you can reduce that. You have to reduce that skill whenever you take damage. And it was really fun. We sat down with uh, four people I had never met before. So the two of us plus four people I never met before and didn't know the DM either. Ended up being a really good group. Uh, we played their adventure in four solid hours. I thought it was nice because I think everybody had an opportunity to really excel at something at the table and do something cool, which, which is important. Uh, I thought that, uh, the adventure that was designed was really fun. And this was actually the first time since uh, free RPG day that I sat down with random people and played different RPGs. And it might be a system that I want to check out because I've played Dungeons and Dragons 5e so much that it might be fun to try something else for, for once. Very cool. Sounds like a good time. It was. So Jesse, what have you been playing? Well, I was also at this con and I got to play a couple RPGs that were one-shot RPGs. Also, I did play The Witch's Dead, which is a one-page RPG by Grant Howitt. I played as a cute little owl trying to revive my witch by eating a hunter's eyes or something like that. Uh, at the very end, I smashed into the ground and uh, kamikaze myself, but also destroyed the eyes. It was great. Um, and then I also played Bluebeard's Bride, which is a more extensive horror investigative RPG. I got to play with the same GM who I had played with previously at the last con I went to, which was a lot of fun. I was a diva persona of Bluebeard's New Bride, and we were exploring a kind of haunted mansion with Bluebeard's previous bride's ghosts and other horrors. It was terrifying. 
So those were some RPGs I got to play. I did also get to play some board games I'd never played before, including Among the Stars, which is a 2012 card drafting game in which you're building a spaceship. Lords of Hellas, which is an area control game set in ancient Greece with multiple paths to victory. Um, and the two that I want to talk about in a little bit more detail are Wonderland's War and Planet Unknown. Um, have you ever gotten a chance to play either of those, Michael? I have not played either of them, and I'm a little bit jealous that you got to play play them, because I always like playing new games. Sorry, not sorry. They were a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I had a really good time with both of them. Um, so Wonderland's War is... Uh, 2022 release by designer Tim Eisner, Ben Eisner, and Ian Moss, with art by Manny Tremblay and published by Druid City Games. The tagline is, The Looking Glass Has Shattered and War Has Come to Wonderland. This is a game that is divided into rounds and phases. There is a tea party phase in which you are essentially marching around the table, picking up cards and drafting what you want, either to build your bag or to place troops for battle in the various regions on the game board. It was an interesting way of card drafting because you had to be careful about how far you were moving. It's kind of like Takedo, like you can go forward, you can't go backward. Once you get to the end of the table, you have to roll a die and get shards, and these shards are worth negative VPs. And also the person with the most shards gets an extra madness chip in their bag, which is bad. If you've ever played Quacks of Quedlinburg, the madness chips work kind of in the same way that the cherry bombs do in Quacks. Um, they essentially cause you to lose battles. So the battle phase, after everybody's drafted four cards in the Tea Party phase, there is a battle phase in each of the five regions on the game board. So for example, in the Pool of Tears, anybody who has um, some of their troops there gets to engage in a battle, and anybody who doesn't gets to watch and gamble by betting on who they think will win. Here's a hint I didn't win very often. <laughs> so don't bet, don't bet on the Jabberwock, apparently. It was a really interesting little combat system. It's push your luck, so you're reaching into your bag and simultaneously pulling out a chip. You have to do it at least once, and then after that you can pull out an empty hand if you want to quit battling. Can you ever go back into battle? Not once you've stopped. Not once you've stopped. Okay. So basically you pull out a chip and as long as it's not a madness token, it's going to advance you along this track. And the first person to 25 or else the first, the person who's furthest along the track when everybody has stopped or busted is the winner of that battle. And they get victory points and they get to place a castle, which is longer term victory points and strength in the region. I did not win any battles until maybe the second or third phase, which definitely was too late. But it was still a really cool and interesting game. Um, I felt like I picked up on how it worked probably around the second year and on what was good and what was less good. Each person represents one of the Wonderland characters. I was the Jabberwock, and my special character power was that I could put poison tokens out on the game board to try to steer players away from certain cards that I wanted to draft or to penalize them if they went ahead and took those cards. The poison tokens work just like a madness token, except for they come back to me rather than staying in the player's bag. The person who won played as the Cheshire Cat, and their special power was to share the shards that they got whenever they rolled the dice and got two or three shards at a time. What I liked about the game, it was fun. It felt fast-paced, even though it was kind of a longer game. 
what I didn't like as much was it felt like it punished early mistakes a lot to the point that it felt like there was no chance of coming back for some players at the table. I also wasn't sure if I felt like the player powers were balanced. Um, I definitely felt like the Red Queen and the Cheshire Cat had better powers compared to mine and some of the others at the table. But it was a fun game. I would recommend trying it at least once or twice. I don't feel the need to add it to my personal collection, but I really did have a great time playing it. The other game I wanted to talk about was Planet Unknown. It was a really cool polyomino game. It is a 2022 release from Adam's Apple Games, designed by Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg, with art by Yoma. The tagline is, develop and colonize your planet with oddly shaped tiles served on a rotating tray. I think that's such a funny part of the tagline that it's served on a rotating tray. Essentially, the the clever mechanic that drives this is that there's a lazy Susan in the middle of the table, you know, one of those little spinny trays, and it's divided into six pie segments. And within each segment, there's two stacks of polyomino tiles of different shapes. When it's your turn to be first player, you choose which segment of the pie you want in front of you. And then you rotate it until it's in front of you and everyone else gets stuck with whatever set of two choices you've given them. Um, So once you've set that, you choose one of your two polyominoes and you draft one to put onto your planet. Every polyomino has two terrain types and sometimes meteors, which are kind of dangerous because they can stop you from scoring points. Once you put down your terrain tile you choose, you use the powers of that terrain type to advance on a track, which will sometimes give you VPs and bonuses. I focused really hard on black tiles, which give civ, um, civilization. And once you get to certain thresholds there, you get a civ card that gives you some cool bonuses. Some of the other colors were like red tiles that let you deploy and drive rovers. So you can pick up those meteors that are messing around your planet or gray tiles that give you tech. I completely ignored those because my goal wanted me to avoid tech and to focus on civ. So... In the end of the game, you get VPs for having completed rows and columns with no meteors, and also for your tracks and for various other things like cards, like Civ cards sometimes have points and um, life pods that you pick up with your rover give you points. One thing that was really cool about this game is that it's simultaneous play. So the first player sets the thing and then everybody at the same time drafts their tiles and resolves its effect. That's great if you trust the people you're playing with and know that they're being honest and know they understand the rules. I thought that this was a super fun and fast game for what it was. I love polyominoes. I think they're great. I think the disadvantage of that simultaneous play is that you can't see what other players are doing. It's not a matter of that I didn't trust the strangers I don't know, but it is a matter of I didn't really know what strategies people were using and what was working and what wasn't. And I didn't always know how to maximize what I was doing and prevent other people from doing what they wanted to. So it felt in a lot of ways like I was playing solitaire. But I really enjoyed it. Would love to play it again. Don't know if I need to add it to my collection. I think I would like to at some point. But I I think I have to get another play or two in to decide if it has enough replayability for me to decide I need to add it to my collection. This one has been rating very well so far this year. been released. It's, you know, got to wait for more. It gets into more people's hands and more people have opinions. But it's definitely that I think it's interesting because I really like the polyomino aspect. Do you think that the more you play it, the more you would be able to 
understand your own personal strategies and then see what other people are doing and then plan where you place the lazy susan i think maybe so and i think playing with people you know and and you know paying more attention to the whole table i might have done a little bit better than i did like i thought i was doing really really well and i ended up in third out of six like i thought i was like miles ahead and i was not I also realized I did not fill up as much of my planet as other people. Like I sometimes took smaller tiles so I could focus on specific tracks. And I guess other people filled their planets more effectively than I did. I mean, that's that's understandable. The first time I played Isle of Cats, definitely did a terrible job about filling up my ship. <laughs> so, <laughs> If you like Isle of Cats, I think you would like this game. Or the first time I ever played Patchwork, also did a terrible time filling up my, uh, my quilt. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man, do I love Patchwork. Yes, it, this, this has the same kinds of things that you like about those games, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Highly recommend. It just seems like every single time I play a polyomino game, I, I struggle the first time. Uh, I think I feel the same way every time I play a game for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> And this next section is brother talk, because Jesse, you're like a brother to me. Oh, that's so nice. You're like a brother to me, only you're more like a distant cousin. (laughs) I'll accept it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) The topic for this fortnight is replayability. And what, it's just talking about replayability in board games, Cult of the New, and, and I want to focus on... Games that are obviously not story-driven, so no Gloomhaven that has a campaign. Though it would be interesting to mention how many times you would replay Gloomhaven. No Pandemic Legacies. No Time Stories. Even though I know David said that he's played the first mission 17 billion times in a previous episode. Shout out to David, who's still not here. (laughs) Hi, David! But yeah, I I didn't ask you earlier. I want you to think about... Lightweight games, medium weight games, and heavyweight games that have high replayability, and on the opposite side, lightweight games, medium weight games, and heavyweight games that do not have a lot of pr- replayability. Can we start by talking about like what exactly is replayability, or how would you define it, or how do you look for it in a game? Like, how does it come across in a game? Sure, we can start there. In fact, I'm going to keep this audio in. <laughs> Okay, so um, how would you define replayability, Michael? It's a game that is exciting and fun to play over and over and over again, and it has multiple ways of being resolved. So for me, replayability is what makes you keep coming back to the game. I know you said we weren't going to talk about legacy games, but I think they do call for repeated play, even though you might play each scenario or situation one time. Those legacy games hit the table frequently. I think some other things games do that bring in a lot of replayability is if they offer things that are modular, like a change of boards or like different player powers or factions or... Uh, different cards that you can choose to play with or to remove like Dominion has. I also think if a game rewards multiple plays um, where you have to play the game many times to feel like you mastered it, I think that makes a game feel really replayable. And occasionally games that offer multiple modes of play, like if they have a co-op variant, I think that can add to replayability as well. 
I don't think there's actually that many games that have a co-op or solo variant that I've that I've personally played, or are a co-op game that have a solo variant or something like that, or a competitive variant. But what you said, interesting about the different factions, because whenever you mentioned that, the first thing that came to my mind was Root. Root yes. has a bunch of different factions. You own all of them, so it's really nice. Uh, <laughs> um, and the game plays very differently depending on which kinds of factions, to the point where Leader Games recommends specific combinations but my chaotic mind wants to see what would happen if you do try <laughs> to try <laughs> these other combinations i don't think it would be inherently bad but it might not be as balanced as other combinations and you mentioned you mentioned dominion i think dominion the base game was very groundbreaking whenever it came out but I don't think owning just the base game is actually that replayable because you fall into the same scenarios. You are, I feel like you're required to have expansions to be able to maximize the replayability. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why a lot of publishers create expansions to games to make them more replayable and to keep them uh, popular among gamers. Yeah. I think that expansions oftentimes add mechanics or change the way that we play in such a significant way that that they make games significantly more replayable. Most of my favorite games have at least one expansion. And while some expansions are better than others, as we've talked about before, I think that those multiple expansions add so many options for gameplay that I think they keep it interesting. What is a heavy game to you that you find extremely replayable that gets you excited every time that you get to play it thinking 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 um why don't you go first <laughs> i think the answer for does the game have a lot of replayability matters for how heavy the game is and even though we don't play it that often i think twilight imperium is very replayable you have like you said different factions that you can play out and you have the map is different. The map can be organized different every single time. Your neighbors can be different every single time. The kinds of objectives that pop up to score points can be different. And so having those options and pre-built into the game, and that game does not, it's not, it's not short. It, it's a commitment. But the fact that I can imagine myself uh, playing Twilight Imperium 4th edition once or twice a year for, if I'm lucky, of course, you know, I think we have a pretty good game group here in the Charlotte area, uh, for the next five or six years it is, is a testament to the game and still have fun and still have fun. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to lose. I'm shocked that I won the last time. <laughs> <laughs> but here I am in one of our game groups trying to organize a, a TA, TI night. We'll see if it happens. TI4 was actually my first thought when you said that. And then you said that you're excited to play every time you play it. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, like I love playing with my friends, but sometimes TI4 feels like a chore to me. It is very replayable, but it is also a lot of work and a lot of brain power that I don't always have to offer. It is definitely a, a strong heavyweight game. 
most of the time I don't play games significantly heavier than Scythe, Everdell. Like, I okay, okay, I love Pret-a-Porter. I don't know if you would consider that heavy, but it is definitely, like, kind of long and chonky. It's not, it does not have as much variability as some of those others that we were talking about. What makes it different each time is the timing of when various cards come out and become available. Um, Have you played Pret-a-Porter, Michael? I have not yet. Oh, it is a game in which you are a fancy fashion designer and you are trying to build the trendiest collections that score you the most VPs. I was fancy once. (laughs) (laughs) I find this game to be really intriguing. I don't know if it's really heavyweight. I don't know what heavyweight means. Like, I'm thinking, like, Lisboa, which I played exactly once and would love to play again. What are, What is a lightweight game that you find replayable? Uh, lightweight game that I find replayable? Well, some of my most played games are social deduction games. Um, things like Werewords or Secret Hitler or Don't Mess with Cthulhu or Coup. These light social deduction games, Skull... Um, with the bluffing element, all of those that can be played relatively quickly with um, the same group of people over and over, and you're always trying to figure out like who's telling the truth and who's lying, and and who's trying to like take advantage of your belief in them. I think those games oftentimes have infinite replayability. You know, for a long time, the game that was so popular was um, Avalon, and I think there's a lot of replayability there. Um, but it does eventually get really samey, which is why, you know, they come out with new things like Quest. Uh, Michael, what are some lightweight games you would say have a lot of replayability? Uh, I would say just one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Just, just one is where there is a word that you have to give a clue for so that the person can guess the word correctly. But you're, but the group of people. So everybody writes down one clue on a piece of. Well, in the game, it's a piece of plastic, and then before the person who's guessing sees the clues, you reveal all the clues to each other, and if you repeat them, you can't show them to the person who's guessing. So you're trying to create a unique clue to help them guess this word. The reason I think it's really replayable is it gives you a goal it tells you how well you did you're supposed to play you're supposed to play with a certain number of cards in the stack and it tells you if you achieve this many correct answers you did okay if you did got this many correct answers you did this good if you got all of them you did really good so it gives you that ranking that tells you how good you did that i really really like so it gives you that that um cooperative goal have you ever been part of a group that scored a perfect 13? I've never gotten a perfect 13. I've gotten a couple 11s, but I've never gotten a perfect 13. Have you gotten a perfect 13? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any particular game that you felt like that you played it once and you had it figured out and you didn't need to play it again? Oh, man. I definitely feel like there are some games like that, but I don't know that. I could just name it off the top of my head. Why don't you go first and I'll think about it while you're saying words. On on the shorter game, I'm going to have to say Delt. Okay. Yeah, we just played that for the first time this weekend, didn't we? Yeah, we played that at Jeff Con. This is a trick-winning game where you're dealt a hand, and once you pick up the hand, you are not allowed to rearrange the cards in your hands. 
and you're trying to play pairs and runs in that are better than what the previous person played, there are some special cards, and you're trying to get rid of all the cards in your hand faster than anyone uh, faster than anyone else. I thought it was fun, um, not because the game was good, but because of the people I was playing with, and we were laughing a lot, just because of how silly these circumstances that came out of it. But it was just one of those games that I think I only had fun because of the people. I figured out what the game would be like, and it's not necessarily the best game. Yes, I would agree with that assessment. I have definitely played games I didn't enjoy and would not want to play again. Um, but in general, that I would feel like I had fully figured out and mastered, that's not super common for me. I'm I'm someone who oftentimes needs multiple plays to feel like I know and understand a game. A good game that I don't find replayable is Blood Rage, because every single game of Blood Rage has ended the same for me. People who play the Loki Strat win, so <laughs> maybe I'm just bad. I may just not have played it enough to have noticed that it's always the same, or else not frequently enough all at once to notice that it's the same. Like I said, that's just how it has ended for me. Maybe you should just get good, fool. <laughs> And this next section, without musical accompaniment, is mail time. And this question comes from the internet. And the question is, what expansion is well-received that you don't like? So an expansion that the community typically really likes, that you personally do not enjoy. Okay, so Michael and I talked about this before the show and we had the same answer, so I changed my answer so it didn't look like I was copying his homework. My answer is going to be Everdell Pearlbrook. It is, if you look on BGG, it is rated lower compared to other expansions for Everdell. Everdell is my favorite game. One of my favorite games. Everdell is one of my favorite games. I don't have favorites. It's in the top five. Pearlbrook was its first expansion, and it adds some cool-ish things to the game, like pearls and adornments and monuments and frog ambassadors. But in some ways, it just doesn't add enough to make it interesting to me. It's not bad, but would I rather play Pearlbrook compared to Spirecrest or New Leaf? Probably not. And what I do think it does that is bad for the game is that the monuments are worth vastly different points. Like, there's one that's worth 10, one that's worth 15, one that's worth 20, and one that's worth 25. So the person who's getting the 25 is most likely to win. Now, did they probably sacrifice points in some other spots to get there? Of course, but like that is a huge advantage to have that big 25-point monument. It takes away the basic events from the game, so I think it just shifts away some of the focus of what I think makes the base game good. Now, Michael, you and I had the same initial answer, so what expansion do you dislike that other people love for some foolish reason. So the same answer is the Turmoil expansion for Terraforming Mars. I have read reviews online. I have talked to other board gamers who like it. I have heard the reasons they like it. All right, they say that it makes the game quicker. They they say, yes, yes. And I can explain it why if you really need to hear the answer. They say it makes it interesting, but 
all the other expansions improve on what I like about the base game of Terraforming Mars, which is passing cards, playing cards, executing those cards, and sometimes terraforming. Alright, so Venus next. Yeah, people argued that it takes away from the terraforming on the board, and it's just unnecessary. But it works within those same mechanics. Prelude. It allows you to do those base things faster because it gives you a bump in certain areas at the beginning of the game. But Turmoil, I do not like because it adds additional sets of mechanics and a world government that every single time I've played is fiddly. We have to remember, like, so how does this work? And if I do this, then what's going to happen? Game feel-wise, I enjoy playing cards and executing cards, and it just takes away from what I enjoy about Terraforming Mars, which is playing cards and executing cards. The whole government thing of putting ambassadors here, uh, making this more powerful, uh, conflict, 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 turmoil, 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 just takes away from what I enjoyed about the base game. And and people say it makes it faster. Every single time we've done world government, it just, it's a slog. It's a slog to the point where I don't want to play play with that anymore. It feels like it slows things down. I don't necessarily dislike the expansion, but I don't prefer the expansion. And it makes me less likely to play the game because of the additional investment of time. So the, the reason why people say it makes it go faster is... So the game of Terraforming Mars ends when you... Ha- terraform mars so oxygen level goes up certain amount temperature goes up certain amount and oceans are played on on the map and uh some people like to build victory point engines where you're just adding cubes to your cards to create victory points and that's all they do as they do as their actions during their turn and they're not actually interacting with terraforming and so there there is a mechanic in uh turmoil that forces them to actually do perform more terraforming, pushing the game closer to the end. But I don't think that's the way that they should have done it. It takes away from the core mechanics of the game that I actually enjoy. Whether or not uh, Terraforming Mars is the perfect game, no. It's it's still really, really fun in my heart. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just not where I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> is that the end of mail time? Look, I thought of a game that I feel like the first time I played it, I was like, I no longer need to ever play this because I feel like I have a full understanding of how it's going to work every single time I play it. And that game is Summoner Wars. Have you played Summoner Wars? I have not played Summoner Wars. It's been many, many years since I played it. But what I basically remember is that there's a board that you have cards you play onto and they are things you summon out onto the board and then you move them across the board and they're troops and they fight your opponent. And it felt like I'm going to summon a thing and then kill his thing. And then he's going to summon a thing and kill my thing. And then I'm going to summon a thing and kill his thing. And it goes on like that until you deplete your your deck. And it felt really drawn out and it felt like the exact same thing happened. Like, the first time I played, I felt like it would be exactly the same if I played it again. I very quickly removed that from my collection as a white elephant gift, which uh, I was not sad to see it go. Does the new person enjoy it? You know, I don't know. And I also don't care. (laughs) As long as it's not on my shelf. 
Um, I was just looking at it online, though. Apparently, there's a second edition re-release in 2021, and it has an 8.3 on BGG. So I'm like, is it actually good? Or is it just people who liked the original who are, like, rating it super high? That's the one where you're running around on the map summoning things, right? Mm, I feel like it was card-based summoning. Yeah. Mm. You're running around on a small grid. Yeah, I don't need the i don't feel the need to play it (laughs) i'm sure it's a great game if it's rated so high i don't need to play it well thank you all for joining us for another fortnight and to you americans out there i hope you all had a good thanksgiving or at least a just okay thanksgiving and to everybody else i'm sorry you guys don't have thanksgiving But you could still make a turkey if you want to. I don't know how easy it is to get turkey in Germany. Until next fortnight. But in the meantime, if you guys have any questions, concerns, or just want to tell us that we're wrong, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. We also have a pretty lively Discord. We make jokes, we play games, um, hang out, do silly stuff. Uh, That link is in the description. We also have an Instagram. Follow us. We post pictures of what we're playing and what we're doing. It's pretty cool. Link in the description. Until next fortnight. Bye-bye now. Bye, y'all.